This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Wednesday, April 6, 2022, and I've got the excellent, the lovely Matteo Doni here on the podcast this week. Hi, Matteo. How are you? Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me back, Miriam. Absolutely. You know, I'm in Frankfurt, Germany today for a car thing that I'm doing for Tech Radar, and I figured I wanted to get someone from the other side of the pond, and I thought, Matteo, I haven't had Matteo on in so long. We're going to have a great discussion about this week's news. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to it. And welcome back to Europe, even though just briefly. Yes, briefly. And I was just here a month ago for Mobile World Congress. So really, like, this is getting ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, I just wanted to, you know, kind of walk through a few things with you. It's been a pretty quiet news week. I mean, it's only Wednesday anyway. So hopefully nothing major happens. But if it does, folks, next week, count on me to get it. Um, but I found a few things, and I know that more importantly, you've recently just today published a video of you unboxing the new Samsung Galaxy A53 5G, which is a phone we get over in the US as well. And I don't have one, so I'd love to hear your first impressions. Yeah, so just to give you a bit of context, the phone was supposed to be delivered on Friday, April 1st, but it only re actually got to us yesterday. And so I've had to catch up compared to everyone else with regards to doing my content for it. So we unboxed the phone and published that first thing today. I then went straight on and recorded my setup video, which we'll be publishing on the Tech Travel Geeks YouTube channel tomorrow. We do one for each because some people just want to know what's in the box. Some people actually want to see the whole setup process. And I have to say, my first impressions are overly negative. Oh. I had a nightmare setup experience with the Samsung Galaxy A53 5G. So usually a setup will take me half an hour doing full app installs and so forth. But the Samsung A53 5G, as I got it in the UK, purchased directly from Samsung, uh, hung halfway through the actual setup uh, during the, the Samsung ballot screen for the pre-installed apps. Wow. I had to hard reset it. <laughs> and it's not just hold the power button down. Samsung have obviously followed the Fruity Company and OnePlus. You have to have power button and volume down button. The phone rebooted into safe mode and wouldn't do anything until I rebooted it again. Wow. Where I had to then install all the Google Play apps and run another One UI 4.1 uh, firmware update. It was a pretty stressful experience, and I unbox and review phones all the time. If I had been an average consumer, maybe not someone who's a techie, this would have gone straight back in its box to Samsung because it was it would not have been a good experience. And I'm really surprised that Samsung have got a product out to consumers in this state, in the experience I had uh, whilst recording this video. Uh, apart from that, it's a lovely device. The hardware is really, really nice. It 
has a bit of an echo of Apple phones. With the iPhone 12, they went square. Samsung have done the same since the A52. They've squared off the design further. Right. You know, that's a trend right now. We should touch on that because I've noticed that we're seeing this from a lot of the Chinese makers right now, Xiaomi Group and BBK Group with some of the Realme and Oppos, like the Oppo Reno 7 Pro, the, I think it's the Vivo V23 maybe. I have it on my YouTube channel. I'll link to it in the show notes. And then of course, Realme just came out with a bunch of new phones that also have, some of them have square design. So I think this is a trend. Like, you know, some companies are making them look like Samsung phones and some companies are making them look like, you know, iPhones now. So I'm not (laughs) too surprised. Uh, But anyway, carry on. I'd be curious to hear how you were able to resolve that. Oh, also as an aside, um, the power off button thing, the OnePlus 10 Pro still uses just the power button. The Oppo phones though, so any Oppo and Realme phone running Android 12 require the volume up and power just like the fruity company, as you like to say. Exactly. So that's that's an odd one. Uh, the OnePlus Nord series also do the dual button uh, options. So it's 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 confusing even within brands. But overall, wow. I had to do a couple of restarts during the setup process of the phone. And this wasn't a setup of the, the Samsung A53 5G going with copying apps and data over from another device. This was deliberately set up as a new device. Now, a few things stood out to me. One which is standard nowadays, depending on the SIM card you put in your device at time of first boot, it will reboot into the setup mode that it has been agreed with that carrier. Right. So it does a SIM identification. It then has a config that drives how you set up the phone. And I'm fine with that because it means that, for example, 3UK, my carrier, has all its settings set up. It has the carrier's uh, app pre-installed, which is exactly what I want. And I'm fine with some pre-installed apps if it makes the price of the device more affordable. Though I'm not happy if the whole setup is janky and makes it unusable. As I said, I'm quite experienced when it comes to unboxing and setting up smartphones. But the average person, if this had been, say, my sister or even my partner, Candice, uh, this would have been a, oh, I can't do this. I'm within my 14-day return period. I'll put it back in the box and send it back to them and choose another product. I'm really worried about this first impression, which is arguably the most important experience in a smartphone user's product's lifecycle is that setup, the experience, being wowed by the AMOLED screen, by the call of nature UI uh, <laughs> interface from Samsung. Yes. It is, it's all part of that first impression. And had I been an average consumer, I would have been really worried about this. Samsung are lucky in that I've dealt with a lot worse in, worse in the past and that I really need to review this phone because the content is important to tech travel geeks. Right. But it is it is one of those things is beware this is this is worrying. Do you think it's just a bug because I just set up uh the Galaxy S22 Plus and S22 Ultra which I reviewed for hot hardware like a month ago or whatever it was before MWC and it was flawless. So um I'm not sure I have a feeling this is just a buggy initial firmware or something that they're probably going to remedy. 
Yeah, it must be because I've also recently unboxed and set up the Samsung Galaxy S21 FE, which is this year's S20 FE. Right. And just like the A53 5G, there's a few trade-offs there, but it's a similar package. The S21, as as with your S22 experiences, was flawless. But this A53 was a bit worrying at the beginning. <laughs> Sounds like it. By the way, congratulations on getting married. Oh, thank you very much. You know, you just mentioned Candace, so ah, <laughs> I had to say something. So assuming they fix this bug, what's your impressions beyond that? Now you've st- now set up the phone, you've started using it. Tell us more about maybe the specs and what you found good and what you found bad so far. Sure. So first impressions of the hardware and the lovely, lovely screen. This is a mid-range device priced at £399 sterling, around about four to $500 US dollars. It's not a flagship, but it's also not a Xiaomi competing mid-ranger. It's right. a very good phone from Samsung that is deliberately not competing on specs with the likes of Xiaomi, uh, Realme, and other brands. And it delivers all the basics really, really well. So the screen is lovely. You you get a lovely AMOLED screen from Samsung with a dotch at the top. The selfie camera is pretty capable. It's a 32 megapixel sensor. And for those who like doing vlogs or recording video with a front-facing camera, it is capable of recording 4K at 30 frames per second. Which Very few phones from China can do that. Exactly. Even flagships. So- so this is uh, maybe down to the Exynos chipset that the Samsung A53 5G has. and uh, But overall, the experience, once the phone was set up, is very smooth, very pleasant. The screen itself is 120 hertz refresh rate. So really, really good. But it's not just the refresh rate. The sampling of the touchscreen is very, very good and responsive. And in my brief experience playing Call of Duty Mobile, It was flawless. It was a really good, good experience. Though the plastic back to the phone did get a bit warm. Yeah. I mean, you'd expect that. And I'm glad to see that the Oxenos is holding up for at least gaming. You know, battery life been okay so far? Well, I have literally had it on for 14 hours. I know. You just got it it today, basically, right? But I, I got it yesterday, but it's now with a day of light use and a setup it's now sitting at 85%, which is pretty decent uh, for for a device like that. And overall, the ergonomics are very pleasant. I haven't put a case on it yet. Cases are my my jam. I really do. Crocodile. Mocodile. Mocodile, yes. (laughs) Mocodile, any case, I think, is a a key part of the smartphone experience. (laughs) Most consumers want to make sure their expensive phone that they've paid for a lot upfront or they're paying for monthly is looked after. And the ergonomics do change between not having a case and having one. But not having a case, it feels really good to hold. The soft touchback is great. And my initial findings with the main camera are very, very positive, especially in this price range. So I think Samsung have done a great thing. They've followed on from the A52 5G, which was a personal favorite of mine. Yeah, it's a good phone. Hmm. There is a little trade-off, though. Uh-oh. There's no headphone jack. Oh, right. They removed that this year. Yeah. So yeah. in that category of mid-range phone, I still think that headphone jack is important. 
whether it's for accessibility use or just basic affordability. Uh, but Samsung have made this decision, and that probably backs, is backed up by the fact that you do get IP67 rating on the device. It's yeah. not it's not uh, your usual mid-range phone that doesn't actually declare anything in terms of waterproofing or dustproofing. This actually has the certification. Samsung have put their money for the certification where their, where their mouth is, to, in, in, in a way of saying. Yeah. So I think that initial impressions are very, very positive. Uh, what I want to see is how Samsung do, do, handles software updates. In my experience over the last couple of years, they've been very, very good at this. Yeah, it's been much better for sure. If they can keep this up and essentially transition this product into the gap the A52 is and the 52S are leaving in the market, Samsung will do very, very well again. And this is a really good product from a trusted brand which will get pushed by carriers. So I think it's going to be the silent hit of 2022. The stealth hit. So the cameras, tell us a little more. How many are there in the back? What are the specs? Is there, there's no OIS on this, is there? Uh, not that I'm aware of. So I haven't I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just check. Uh, but the, I the think key the thing... FE is, the, is kind of the last one in, yeah. you have, you go below that, you don't get it. What's the sensor size? In terms so of the main sensor on the version we have here in the U in the UK is a 64 megapixel sensor. Okay. And it does pixel binning. So when I look at this on my PC and I look at the EXIF of the file, it's actually outputting at 16 megapixels. Makes sense. So yeah. pretty four to one. It makes sense. It, it's it's good. Um, so that's the main sensor, 64 megapixel. There's also a 12 megapixel ultra wide camera, which okay seems comparable in its color reproduction. Usually the ultra-wides, just because of the nature of the lens and the sensors, tend to be a bit more muted in their coloring. Right. This, in my experience, short experience today, taking a picture of our turf lawn in the back garden, it seems to be on a par with the main sensor. It's not... Nice. There's not that much big of a difference. Uh, and do we talk about sticker cameras here? Oh, we That's might as well, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's the usual 5 megapixel macro camera and 5 megapixel depth sensor. Wow. Which, uh, if you're interested in spec sheets and ticking boxes, uh, they're there. But the actual value to the average person pointing their camera and taking pictures of their cats, dogs, children, uh, countryside, I think is, is minimal. Sticker cams, that's why. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised they're five megapixel. That's like expensive sticker cams <laughs> compared to the generic two megapixel F over 2.4, 1.75 microns that is universally used as the <laughs> generic sticker cam. Yes. Um, I, I, at least we know this is Samsung. It's a reputable brand. And this camera module will actually be plugged into the phone unlike other brands uh, that we've seen which don't actually plug them in. <laughs> or have just a lens. Yes. <laughs> or the latest is um, sometimes on Xiaomi phones, they just have a, a little circle that says AI or something. Yes. And, you know, if you like squinting, you don't notice right away and you're like, wait, oh, it's text. Okay. Like, <laughs> who does that? Well, 
let's face it, in some markets, your smartphone is your status symbol. Unlike of course, of course. for us, cars or houses or things, yeah. smartphone is your status symbol. And regardless of what the output is or how it works with the smartphone, the number of lenses on the back is the equivalent of the, the GT or performance sticker on your car. So it is important and it is good that there is choice in the market uh, for that sort of feature, yeah. inverted commas. For sure. Um, does it come with a charging brick in the box? No, uh, oh. it does not. <laughs> it just has a USB Type-C to Type-C cable. Okay. I did fully charge the device uh, after the unboxing, and it does, I checked, uh, charge at 25 watts. So I had one of those uh, funky, yeah, busiest yeah. cables with the, with the reader. And yes, it was charging at 25 watts at the beginning of the charge. That's great. Well, you know, it's something. It's not, you know, unfortunately, like the Chinese phones that even at the mid-range now have at least 33 or 30 <laughs> or whatever. Some some even 65. Um, I'm actually playing with the, uh, the Redmi Note 11 Pro Plus 5G. Uh, the, the one with the, the MediaTek, because there's the Pro Plus 5G in India, which is the pro 5G everywhere else. You yeah. know, the, they always have that version. But this is the proper Pro Plus 5G, and that one has 120 watt charging on a $350 phone. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah we talked about that last week uh, because it was announced last week. So your takeaway here is, it's other than maybe the headphone jack and this initial buggy setup, you're looking at a, you know, proper, worthy successor to the A52 5G then? Yes. Uh, provide for, for the average consumer, that's the case. But as we know, the perception of a device uh, is also shaped by, uh, by reviewers like ourselves, by YouTubers, by TikTokers. And I think the, the name Exynos comes with some baggage. Yeah. And yes, everyone who's a real enthusiast will buy this phone, install Genshin Impact and run it into the ground and then declare that Samsung is dead, that World War III should start and the first place it should start is Korea. Uh, <laughs> but that's not the case. Uh, luckily, most consumers don't actually consume this content. They go to their carrier store. The nice chat or lady in the store will advise them, say, what do you use your phone for? Do you take pictures of, of your kids, of your pets? Uh, do you want good battery life? I think the big upgrade from the 52 5G is the battery. The chipset for most consumers won't make any difference whatsoever. I don't think anyone's going to be editing two hour long 4K videos on their phones <laughs> on a Samsung A53 5G. So I think that... Challenge accepted. The YouTuber sort of enthusiast market may turn around and say, this is dead on arrival. I think that this is going to be the hit of 2022. So remind me, last year, the A52 5G, what chipset was it running? It was running the Snapdragon 750G. Oh, okay. Let me check. Yes. So, it was, so if you went for the 5G version, you got Qualcomm. If you went for the 4G version, you got Exynos. Uh, Exynos. And that's specifically why I went for 5G was uh, you got a little bit more performance. It was a 
better integrated modem and chipset. And more importantly, it's what the networks were pushing because they really took this as an example of a, an affordable mid-range phone that could push their 5G USP, their 5G sales force, because the networks want to get people onto 5G as soon as possible to then Absolutely. be able to yep. monetize in other ways. Yep. Yeah, it's a big deal right now, especially in the U.S. I mean, right now, if you go to a U.S. carrier, you can walk into any U.S. carrier and walk out with a free 5G phone if you play your cards properly every single time. Yes. It's crazy. And uh, 5G, 5G is great, provided you have access to it. Right. So that's just one thing to bear in mind. Uh, this particular Samsung A53 5G that I have comes in the UK with access to all networks on 5G because we're we're in a way a good market for that sort of technology. Uh, the availability of the networks where I live at the moment is not great, but next weekend I'm going to be taking the A53 5G and the S21 FE 5G on a little train trip to London for, nice. for a night. And so I'll be putting it through its paces on nighttime photography trying out the eraser function that we saw on the Pixel phones last right. year yeah. is now part of Samsung's suite of, of One UI uh, features. So I want to put it through its paces and see if those really funky Samsung ads that have been all over the place are actually delivering in terms of features. Because Samsung's ad campaign for the A series of devices this year is really aiming at the TikTok generation at the Instagram Reels generation. They're really going for that market. And I think that they've got a good thing on their hands. As I said, this is the quiet winner of 2022. Whilst everyone else is worrying about the flagships, the <laughs> people are going to the stores and buying these phones. For sure. Ah. And speaking of, I think this is a great transition towards another slab-sided phone, supposedly. <laughs> and that's the OnePlus Nord N. 20 5G that's been rumored for a while now. Our friend over at PC Mag, Sasha Segan, has an exclusive with some more uh, information, which is great because it's like a leak at this point, not just a rumor. So we knew this phone was coming. Um, just for the audience who might not be a US-centric audience out there, and this might be relevant because, you see, the Nord came out in the global markets and not the US. The original Nord was a phenomenal phone in 2020. Then we got the Nord 2 in global markets in 2021, which I also thought was a phenomenal phone. And in the US, though, we were given the N-series Nord. N, rumored to stand for North America. So <laughs> OnePlus Nord N something. It started with the OnePlus Nord N10 5G, and the OnePlus Nord N100 5G. And both of these were definitely lower grade than the Nord. Um, they had LCD panels at uh, higher refresh rates, I think 90 hertz. They had um, you know, 5G on one of them and 4G on the other. The N100 was really a basic phone, less than $200. You know, didn't even have more than a 13 megapixel camera in the back. 
uh, of course, an ultra wide, but it didn't have like a like a multi pixel setup with binning. Whereas at least the N10 had like I think a 48. Um, but the N10 overall felt like a rebadged Reno Oppo Reno phone, and this is before the whole integration with with Oppo that we saw in 21. So this is in the fall of 2020, and I reviewed that phone and I just wasn't impressed. Aesthetically, it wasn't pleasing because it was very plasticky and it was kind of like a, a cheaper knockoff of a Reno, which is already very plasticky at the time. And then it had a fingerprint sensor on the back, which looked very dated. You know, Google could get away with it still because we knew it was a Pixel and it was a good phone, you know, in those time frame. But for OnePlus, having had in in display fingerprint sensors forever it was a bit weird and then you know it had a i think it had a snapdragon i want to say 765g which was on the n10 yes yeah it was actually pretty good yeah on the i'm talking about the n10 here but overall this phone just you know lots of bezel lots of chin because of lcd just wasn't very pleasant then in the spring last year a year ago they launched the N200 5G, which was in between the N100 and the N10 5G. And that phone was absolutely phenomenal for the money. It was about 200 US dollars. It had 5G. I think it had a Snapdragon 480 5G, the baby chip from Qualcomm. <laughs> and honestly, I feel like, you know, it again had an IPS display with a lot of bezels, but they, they hid it in the design. It had really attractive industrial design, a really beautiful back panel, and only had a 13 megapixel main camera. That's one of the areas where you know it it kind of downgraded. It was kind of a blend between the N10 and the N100, and you know the Snapdragon 485 G, meh, it was okay, but it wasn't spectacular. But thankfully, Oxygen OS really ran circles on that phone. It was wonderful, and battery life was good too. Uh, most importantly, it supports all the right 5G bands that you would need on T-Mobile because that phone was for T-Mobile exclusive for a while. And as because of that, I used it actually on Vachon Island off the coast of Seattle um, as my main hotspot to access the internet while visiting a friend. And it was incredible. I was getting 250 megabits down, 50 megabits oh, wow. up on this $200 5G phone. So this is an introduction to this N20 5G, which is supposed to replace the N10 5G and slot above the N200 from last year. And we now have leaks of it. And the industrial design shows a more slab side and more rectangular phone like we've seen from Realme and Oppo in some designs. So again, you see the Oppo influence here, of course, because now they're fully integrated. But what's more interesting is that they're going to try to maintain that affordable sub 250 price point, but maintain it with an AMOLED screen instead of an LCD. However, this is a first for OnePlus because even the N100, the 4G phone had a 90 Hertz display. LCD. This is an AMOLED at 60 hertz, which is very odd for a BBK group phone, any BBK group phone at this point. But it's rumored to have, you know, a slightly improved camera system. And, you know, obviously it's just going to be, I mean, from the leaks here, it's it's looking pretty hot. Like I think it they, they, they didn't like try to 
copy too much of an Oppo design. I mean, it's obviously, it's clearly BBK group, but it's still, it feels more OnePlus, which I think is good news. And it looks like it will have a Snapdragon 695 5G processor, which is a big improvement over the N200 and probably a good competitor to what the N10 brought to the table with the 765. And, you know, 48 megapixel rear sensor, I'm sure it's a cheap one, but it'll probably be all right. Still better than a 13 megapixel. So I'm looking forward to playing with this phone and seeing how they manage to get the price to where it needs to be. Because that's really going to be it. At this point, I'm a little annoyed with the 60 hertz AMOLED, but frankly, I will accept that if this is 250. If this is 300, uh, it's a little harder to accept. But remember, this is US market. All of you listening from Australia, India, the UK, and Canada right now can laugh hysterically at me because I know you have all these wonderful options from BBK Group itself. And of course, Xiaomi uh, at these prices that are significantly better on paper. But you have to understand that we have these weird bands. So if you want a phone that works on these weird bands, you pretty much have to look at OnePlus for a non-Samsung, non-Apple device in the US. And thankfully, OnePlus is, is still with us somehow. Yes, I think one of the things OnePlus is aiming to do with this is fill that gap left by LG in the affordable mid-range or even more entry-level smartphone market. I think that's what they tried just for economies of scale with the first generation of OnePlus Nord N series. Yes. It was just an experiment, see how it goes. They saw that ultimately, as part of BKK Group, getting rid of that inventory of parts that maybe was left over or that they had purchased in bulk made sense. And yeah. it also enabled them to enter a lower end segment, price segment, uh, after having built up a brand goodwill over the last few years by being in carrier stores in the US. And at a global level, it's good to have another player, especially with recent exits from the like of likes of LG and Huawei. 100%. And more importantly, in the US market, at least, they are competing straight up with the Moto G series, which has been slowly decontented in lowered in price and has now become the new Moto E series, really in terms of its performance and quality. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that Moto is obviously still a pretty strong competitor. They're the number three in the US right now, which is kind of hard to believe since they don't really have a mega flagship. They just announced the Moto Edge Plus 2022 edition, which is the Moto Edge 30 Pro for you folks abroad. And uh, that's the closest we get to a flagship. Right. And it's a pretty great phone, but we didn't even have anything like that last year. We never got the really good Moto Edge 20 Pro you had. So the Moto G series, you know, right now, most of them are 4G phones, whereas they've made a few Moto Gs that were 5G in the past. Now they're kind of really focusing on that, you know, space where I think the Moto E used to live or the the Moto G Play used to live. Um <laughs> but with more mainstream Moto Gs. And every now and then, you know, if they want to go slightly mid-ranger than the G, you see them come out with a Moto Ace, which is our other brand here in the US for the <laughs> mid-range, right? It's a little confusing 
But I think OnePlus last year with the N200 in particular showed, you know, Moto who's boss because that phone instantly propelled the sales forward for for OnePlus significantly in our market. Indeed. I, I look at Motorola and I've got to the point where I have a feeling they've started taking a page out of Samsung's book 10 years ago, where they were carpet bombing the mid-range with hundreds of minor devices with minor differences with lots of names that were confusing and getting away with it. Motorola are owning that mid-segment of the market, especially in the US and South America at the moment, uh, with these mid-range devices. Uh, I've got confused by their branding uh, with where previously under Google it was simple. Moto E was your entry device. Moto G was the affordable one, and you had Moto X for the slightly close to flagship, but deliberately not a flagship smartphone. Exactly. The the waters have been muddied. Uh, Lenovo Rola have done a great job at eating market share where they could. And it's okay to not want to compete in the flagship space, especially on these devices where the margins are minimal. And if you have the powerful connections to the networks, you leverage them this way. OnePlus is still in the infancy of this. They want to have some hard-hitting winners and take that market share. But the uh, definitely in the US market, with less choice, there's a lot more uh, confusion also because of the fundamentally different way some networks work compared to each other. Yeah, I think that's perfectly valid. And, you know, that's why I'm excited about this phone, that uh, according to this leak is coming sometime this month so like i haven't heard anything from oneplus so hopefully uh, uh i mean i'm sure i'll get one but i'm just hoping it's not uh, arriving too soon because it's already been a busy month for me and i just reviewed the oneplus 10 pro i could use a little oneplus break right now but at the same time i've been saying for a while now that if the n25 g comes along it's going to be you know, hopefully a much better phone than the N10 5G was, more in line with the N200 in terms of its, uh, you know, its kind of package. And speaking of another feature we're going to get on this, it looks like, is 65-watt SuperVOOC charging, which at this price point, three less than 300 250 is, for the U.S. market, unheard of. But for even many other markets, still not commonplace. So that's got me happy too yeah that, that will be great and again it's if you're someone who's comfortable with one plus brand and your network carrier has it if the day-to-day -day performance of this is on a par for all the basics with the for example the samsung a53 5g for a more price sensitive customer this may be the perfect smartphone uh, how can you justify spending an extra 30% on your smartphone to get the A53 5G if it's not just for the status symbol and the Samsung brand loyalty. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of BBK Group and Halo phones, I've been talking about this for multiple weeks now, ever since I got the Oppo Find X5 Pro and last week with the OnePlus 10 Pro, is I keep looking at these two phones and loving them, particularly the Find X5 Pro, and thinking to myself, 
This nagging feeling I have, it's not going away. It's the nagging feeling that the S22 Ultra exists. The Galaxy phone from Samsung, the, the Note phone for this year, the Note 22, as uh, JC, my guest last week, calls it on purpose. And he's right. But the point is, there is nothing right now from Xiaomi until they do a Xiaomi 12 Ultra. And they did an 11 Ultra, so hopefully they'll do a 12 Ultra. But there's also nothing from BBK Group that can compete directly spec-wise with the S22 Ultra from Samsung, the galaxy of all galaxies. And so I am looking at this new rumor of an Oppo Find X5 Pro Plus, and I would like to piggyback another rumor of a OnePlus 10 Pro Plus or a OnePlus 10 Ultra, or an Oppo Find X Ultra. The bottom line is we need a slightly more expensive, which I think is, is a hard sell for the Find series, because that's already 1400 US dollars. Um, but, but forget that for a second. It's a Halo product, right? So I want to see BBK Group humor us, either with Oppo or OnePlus, by giving us a you know, spec-laden kitchen sink phone that just slays and destroys, even if it's expensive. Because what I want to see is all the goodness of the Find X5 Pro with a folded telephoto 5X lens instead of that crappy 2 megapixel. It's not crappy, but meh, 2 megapixel non-OIS telephoto they have right now, which they really just use for sensor fusion. I get it. But I'm just like, it's almost a sticker cam for a flagship, you know? So so this is where we, we actually bemoan the lack of Huawei in the market. Had Huawei been there setting the standard from a China perspective, BBK, BKK Group would be right there behind them with the Oppo and Vivo equivalents. Having lost that Huawei first step adventurism in the <laughs> space, yeah, I think it has dulled BKK's dominance of the market. It's a two-horse race. It's BKK versus Xiaomi in China at the moment. Uh, yes, Huawei's still there. Honor is starting to pick up again. But it's a, I think it's a sign of the fact that Huawei was crippled and was not able to get back in the game. And it will take some time to re redistribute that sort of innovation, the teams that are working on that. Hardware doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that you do in six months. These phones, as far as I'm aware, have been worked on for 18 months. The pipeline is long, complex, and involves a supply chain. Uh, yes. So it's, it's one of those things which is, for the average consumer, is, oh, no, I want the latest phone. This is it. But they don't realize that it's been worked on for so long to make this happen. And, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Had Huawei still been around, everyone else would be still going faster. Yeah, I agree. But I also feel like with BBK Group, Vivo is holding the torch on the camera phone front. I mean, don't get me wrong. Oppo's doing some good stuff. OnePlus is doing some interesting stuff. Realme is, you know, parts binning out of those <laughs> and giving us some great phones for the money. I don't want to make it sound like it's a bad thing to parts spin. I mean, Redmi does it. Poco does it. But... Vivo's 
you know, X70 series right now, the X70 Pro Plus is really holding the torch. I mean, this is the phone that has a folded lens, that has a dedicated portrait telephoto, that has, you know, the gimbal, that has in-body stabilization, right? Uh, which the Oppo Find X5 Pro also has. Actually, it combines in-body with uh, OIS on the lens, which is crazy. But the point is that, you know, I think the problem is that Vivo is just not a brand that's as widespread, especially in the West, as, you know, Oppo is. So that's kind of why I want to see Oppo make a Halo phone as well, and maybe OnePlus too. And, you know, Samsung can't always hold the torch forever. I mean, it's like, you know, Samsung with the S21 Ultra, let's face it, copied the Huawei P40 Pro Plus, right? This idea of putting two telephotos, one folded, one non-folded, both with OIS, both at those lengths, you know, 3X and 10X, that was not Samsung doing it first. That was Huawei doing it first with the P40 Pro Plus. And boy, did they ever do it well. That phone still blows my mind today. I have the P50 Pro right now as well, and it's a great phone other than the lack of GMS, but it's not, you know, it's it's a, not a Pro Plus. It doesn't have that absolutely bonkers camera system. The only thing that comes close from a relative or former relative is Honor with the Magic 4 Pro. That phone is unbelievably great in terms of imaging. I mean, I haven't played with it other than MWC. I don't know what the image quality looks like, but some people have used it and taken photos and I trust their judgment. I think it's going to be one of the imaging hits of 2022. Yes. And remind me, is there a well-known camera brand sticker on it? Uh, is there? I can't remember right now. I don't I think, think Honor did away with that. As they, they did said. away Let's... with that. I think it's, um, so we have still have Leica on the Huawei phones. We Leica is moving, moving to Xiaomi. Imminently. They are, but they're still on the Huawei on the P50 Pro that I have. There is uh, Zeiss on Vivo and Zeiss on Sony, and of course Hasselblad on OnePlus and on Oppo. And I think you're right. There is yes, there is the Magic doesn't have that though. It from what we've heard from people who have played with the Honor Magic for it is up there and maybe above some other competitors who have those stickers. And that's what I hear too. And to be frank, you know, when these two companies split, there's a lot of people that came, experts from each, you know, division, imaging being one of them, that kind of came along. And I wouldn't be surprised if they took some of that color science expertise and some of that computational, you know, sensor fusion, which still, you know, very few companies are using other than Huawei right now. Oppo is starting to do it. The Fine X5 Pro with its custom bespoke ISP is doing sensor fusion, but we're still not seeing that very commonly. Of course, um, Google's doing it as well, but Apple isn't. And uh, as far as I know, OnePlus isn't either. So, you know, I think the magic is using sensor fusion from what I, I talked to some of the folks at Honor at MWC, and it's definitely the closest thing we're going to get to a Huawei of days past, you know, meaning with GMS, right? Yes. And as, as smartphone enthusiasts, it's always good to see more competition in the market. 
because that's what drives the innovation, uh, as we were saying earlier. I hope Honor do make a full comeback uh, in their own way. I hope so too. And, you know, I think they are well on their way to doing that right now. I feel very positive of what they have to bring to the table. And they're finding their own design language and their own voice. As you said, it takes 18 months. So for a while there, there was a lot of similarities still, right? <laughs> yeah, but it was a little alarming. <laughs> in my Honor 50 review, I made a point of saying this phone feels really, really familiar. Nova the 9. <laughs> the few, it was exactly the same as the P30 Pro in hand. Oh, in hand. But it's actually exactly the same phone as the Nova 9. Yes. <laughs> yeah, is, as in hardware-wise. Yes. But when I when I think to my sort of experience with far, smartphones, it's difficult to describe, but the whole ergonomics feel in hand, the software, the positioning of the fingerprint scanner, that Honor 50, what took me straight back to the P30 Pro, which in its day, was the best of the best. Yeah. Do you remember when we went to that event? Yes. And we unboxed, we both did our unboxing videos. Like we, we stole a room somewhere and like just shot our videos one after the other. It was like guerrilla yep. YouTube creation. It was great. Exactly. Belated thanks to Basil it because was he lent us the Basil. tripod. Yes. Oh my God. Memories. Back in the day when you could still use your phone your Huawei phone with GMS. Ah, oh, I miss those days. Yeah, but let's face it, we're still lucky to have so many brands, not necessarily in the US, but globally, uh, to be able to have these comparisons and different experiences. Uh, obviously, the ultimate winner from this competition is the consumer. It's our friends and family when they go out and buy a phone. And I, I think despite my previous negativity about this, it is still an exciting time, despite what some say about slabs all being the same and there not being much innovation. There is. Yeah. I think um, looking at the specs right now of the rumors of the Find X5 Pro Plus, let me walk you through. Slightly bigger 6.78 inch uh, Quad HD Plus AMOLED 1 to 120 hertz LTPO version 2. Uh, so very similar to the Find X5 Pro, but slightly bigger screen. Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 Plus, which hasn't been announced yet, but we know is probably coming. Um, we're looking at, here are the cameras, I was right. So we're looking at a periscope lens, 64 megapixel, and uh, a 50 megapixel IMX 766 for the ultrawide, as it is now. But it says here 50 megapixel IMX 789, that is it accurate, because the 789 is the primary sensor on the OnePlus, and that is a 48 megapixel sensor. So that's either, again, a 766, like it is today on the main sensor of the Find X5 Pro, or it is, maybe it's the first time that they're stealing OnePlus a sensor, which is so far only been on the OnePlus 9 Pro and 10 Pro, which is the 48 megapixel IMX789. And then um, the other thing that stands out here in a kind of crazy major way is 150 watt wire charging, which they announced at Mobile World Congress. Yeah. So, you know, place your bets, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the key thing is maybe. Will that 32 megapixel selfie camera be able to record 4K video? It won't, because it's the same 30 megapixel selfie camera that's on the Oppo Find X5 Pro and the OnePlus 
10 Pro and it doesn't do it on there. I don't think it's a chipset limitation at all, frankly. The Snapdragon can do 4K on front cameras. I mean, the Nord, non like the original, with a Snapdragon 765G, was doing 4K 60 on the front camera. It's the only BBK Group phone in recent memory that does that. So I don't think it's a chipset issue. It's just they, they choose sensors that can't do it and because they cheap out. And I'd, I think it's unacceptable that Xiaomi Group and BBK Group are not giving us 4K 30 or 4K 60, at least 4K 30, but definitely 4K 60 on flagships. Any flagship right now. Won't anyone think of the poor vloggers? I know. Who thinks of the teenagers? Come on. Um, speaking of kind of semi-flagship phones, Poco F4 5G is leaking, which also means we'll probably get a Poco F4 Pro 5G likely. And if you remember, the F-Series is kind of like that. Last year had a Snapdragon 870. So it was like an 865++, which is a really good actually a really good uh, processor for gaming particularly and so who knows what this will do this is rumored to have an, an 870 again and you know going to be priced competitively um, so I expect this rumor to be or leak to be pretty accurate because we're pretty much due for a Poco F4 series anytime soon what's your take on this um, it makes sense uh, the, the timing is right uh, Let's see what happens. I know that Qualcomm are great with the uh, Snapdragon 870, but I wouldn't be too surprised to see different variants in different markets. MediaTek's Dimensity chipsets may have a space in this, so there may be an F3 in certain markets with Qualcomm and an F3, or sorry, F4 in certain markets with MediaTek. Right. It's still early days. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is rumored to be released in... July, August, okay. still a bit early, but uh, Xiaomi has been playing the multi-chipsets in multi-markets with essentially the same phone, Yes, uh, especially now that 5G and fast charging, I'm not going to say quick charging or, or their uh, ultra-fast charging, is pretty common across the board on their product portfolio, but yeah. It does. It does seem seem realistic that we will see an F four series, and from what we see from our our content on Tech Travel Geeks, uh, the F series is very very popular. Oh yeah, it's, it's not a Halo device, but it's within reach of a much larger market of consumers. It's affordable flagship, basically, or yes. premium mid range, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. <laughs> someday, someday we should sit down and do a Venn diagram of where, where phones sit in the market. So it's interesting because I actually have an opinion on this. I think to me, a premium mid-ranger is a mid-range spec-wise that has a much better build quality and materials. Like, like here, I'll give you an example. Reno 7 Pro, premium mid-range. Aluminum shell, glass back, you know, pretty good mid-range specs, but not flagship specs whereas i think the f series the poco f4 and the previously the f3 are fitting into the affordable flagship box because they have flagship specs but you're not going to get aluminum or maybe not even glass in the back you might get a full plastic phone but for a reason right so that you can uh, meet a certain price point and you got to remember this all started with a poco f1 Remember that? Yes. That was Poco such a good phone. F1. And so we got the F2 and then we have got the F3 and now the F4. So the F 
the F series is kind of like the you know original evolving, right? It's the it's it's the staple of the Poco brand. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I think this is exciting. I'm looking forward to it. it the, the F series has always been a pretty delightful phone to review. And then ZTE or ZTE, uh, if you're an American, but like let's be uh let's say Z because I'm Canadian and you're based in the other side of the pond. So Axon 40 Pro and Axon 40 series in general is being teased, uh, basically mostly because they went through Tina, which is the, or Tena, or whatever it's called, the Chinese, you know, equivalent to the FCC. So Nubia released the Z40 Pro, and Nubia, you know, is kind of like very related to ZTE. It's kind of like Vivo is to one to OnePlus or Apple. And Nubia released this Z40 Pro a while back. I think it was an MWC actually. And it had, it, it's MagSafe compatible. It doesn't say MagSafe on it, but they actually put magnets in the phone and a charging <laughs> coil in the same exact pattern that will match a MagSafe accessory from Apple or third party. And I'm actually surprised that across the board on Android, this hasn't happened yet because there's no patent for putting magnets and a coil in a certain order under glass or plastic. And I don't think Apple can sue for that as long as they don't don't have the word MagSafe anywhere. So I'm surprised. But anyway, the Nubia Z40 Pro came out with this feature and it's rumored that the Axon 40 Pro is essentially just a rebadge version of that. Which I would surprise me at all. So, you know, if we know anything about the Z40 Pro from Nubia, then you, you know what to expect. I mean, we're looking at, you know, essentially their flagship for the year, right? Yes. And it's good to see ZT still around uh, at this point. They went through some tough times, not as bad as Huawei, but they managed to pull through, mainly due to their, their very loyal home soil market. It's it's an interesting brand, but I think they, they're quite comfortable where they are in the Chinese market and don't want right. to spend too much time and efforts going international just because of the costs involved and the the dilution of their brand at home that that could bring. Uh, ZT have always been good in audio. Uh, they've always handled that beautifully. Uh, so they... When when LG internationally was the brand that had digital audio converters in their phones, ZT did as well, uh, but no one knew about it. Right. So I haven't used a ZT phone in a few years, but I would love to to get my hands on this new one and see what what they're up to. I'm presuming that going by that, they will have a Qualcomm chipset again this year? Yeah, so let me read you some specs for the Nubia version of this phone, the Z40 Pro of Nubia. This is a Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. It has a AMOLED panel, but it's not LTPO. It is 144 hertz though, 6.67 inch, 1080p. It has lots of RAM and storage and all the trimmings. Cameras are interesting. 64 megapixel main, f of a 1.7 with OIS, uh, 8 megapixel telephoto, it's a 5X, it's Periscope, uh, OIS, and, you know, F over 3.4, which isn't too bad for uh, a 5X Periscope. 50 megapixel, F over 2.2 ultra wide, 
ah, this sounds like a flagship to me. And, and you know, let's see, charging where we have here. We have 5,000 milliamp hour, 80 watt wire charging and 66 watt wireless charging. Oh boy, that's exciting. Yeah, it is. And it's it's priced at that five hundred US dollar or five hundred euro price point. Right, yeah, yeah. But stepping away from the phone enthusiast and putting on my Italian fashion head, just <laughs> looking at the back of this phone and how those on paper amazing cameras are, just looking at the design of this, Nubia have have a winner there. It's yeah. it it's has very red like accent. a note. It's like a, that squarish note vibe to it. It's squarish note, but it's how they have put the red ring of and accent around the center uh, piece camera. It really shouts out tech chic to me. Yeah, it's got that stereo from the '80s vibe with all the decals, and you know, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. I like it. It has stripes. It must go faster. Exactly, ten more horsepower instantly for free. So that's cool. That's where we're at on that. Last thing I want to kind of discuss before we wrap up is, you know, there's been a lot of rumors for smartphone makers or tech companies, <clears throat> Apple, to that are supposedly working on an, some sort of electric car, an EV. And, you know, so it's not the first time we've heard, you know, Apple is working on an EV. You know, Samsung, believe it or not, has a partnership with their Korean friends, Hyundai, and they make a Samsung branded car, uh, which is a rebadge basically of a, of a Hyundai in Korea. So, you know, there are Samsung cars and Apple cars are supposedly in the works. And so it's exciting to me that Chinese EV maker Neo, which is a really big deal in China, they make some incredibly nice EVs that absolutely compete with Tesla, more so than any of the traditional car makers. And they are supposedly developing a or more than one smartphone. And the idea here is this is not a, you know, let's make a smartphone for the sake of making a smartphone. This is about their ecosystem. As you know, a lot of the Chinese tech companies have their own ecosystems like Xiaomi, right? But those car makers like Neo, they have a very strong ecosystem. They have their own assistant in the car. They have their own services in the car. So they thought, hey, for those customers who are happy with our cars, why don't we extend these services that are in the car into their pockets and into their homes via a smartphone that we can ODM from someone in China that has our brand on it. Now, we don't know too much more about this. The story was written by Electric that I'm going to put in the show notes. They are they cover EVs, they're not they don't know much about smartphones. But the fact that this is happening to me is super exciting and fascinating at the same time. You know, what's your take on this? Um I think this is a perfect play within the Chinese market. Uh, oh, yeah. It makes sense because all brands have enough scale, even if they just barely uh, scratch the market share of the Chinese market, they still instantly have close to 100 million users uh, if they they get into the market. So Neo, for Neo to make a smartphone makes total sense. They may have their own custom Android distribution that they'll put on it. They'll outsource oh, yeah. that development somewhere. 
but they will have their Halo product, which is the car, and all the teenagers, kids who wish they could afford a Neo car uh, will go for the smartphone. Absolutely. Kids will buy the Ferrari t-shirt because they aspire to having a Ferrari in 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 Western markets. Neo yeah. will do the same thing. Neo is that Halo brand, which who could do that? Uh, but taking a step back and thinking about it uh, more in our friend Vlad Savov's uh, circuit of of economics and and supply chain at Bloomberg, I look at Chinese brands and think: in the supply chain, are they smartphone brands? Are they lifestyle goods brands? Or are they just lithium-ion speculators? Do they <laughs> just question. buy all the lithium? Somewhere someone in a cubicle is making deci- decisions over lar- large quantities of lithium, how they get used, which products they can put them in, how they do this. And I think that a lot of Chinese companies might be backed by some strong strong interests in how batteries get used because electric cars, smartphones, power banks, torches, laptops, the scale at which we're consuming lithium and they're being put into devices and battery production is happening. It makes sense for the likes of Neo to say, hey, we've got a few hundred thousand cells left over. Let's make our own smartphones, which just happen to be very power efficient and plug into our cars as well. Yeah, I think this is super fascinating. and I really want to follow this story. I just, I'm excited about it because Neo cars are really cool. So I know it's not going to be for our markets. Don't expect to see this phone here anytime, folks. But, you know, Neo is going to start selling their cars in Europe soon. So you never know. Maybe they'll give us a slightly less skin, less Chinese-ish version of their phones as well. I mean, you know, I'm in. I'm in. More phones, better, you know? So speaking of of electric vehicles, you're you're obviously you also have a beat on the electric car uh, space. Absolutely. Obviously, you you had a, a Tesla Model Three. Lukash followed in your steps, and he has one as well. I'm I've just moved house. We're putting new solar panels on the roof. Nice. And I'm choosing my electric vehicle. Now I'm a really boring driver, so I'm going for a rebranded Chinese car called an MGZS EV. I've heard about it, yes. Uh, and it's interesting because they've taken an old world brand, an old, old world oh brand. Oh my God, yes. And put it on Chinese consumer electric vehicle, and they're selling very well here. Uh, it's interesting to see how they did that and how, in a similar way, Polestar is pretty much the same it's from Geely, a- It's Geely, yeah. It's Geely. So this is, I think, Chinese brands way into the electric car market, similar to what back in the day, Huawei did with network-branded devices. Do you remember when you could still buy a T-Mobile phone or over in Europe an orange phone? Yeah, and you know, let's not forget, Huawei makes cars now. They do. And not just the the Porsches they use at uh, at, uh, Mobile World Congress for demos. No, no, no. (laughs) Like, they actually have their own car. I think it's an SUV that they... Branded Huawei, obviously made by someone for them, but it's kind of fascinating because I think with this whole ban, they've had to rethink, you know, what they are. And smartphones, obviously, were always just a part of what they did, but they are really pushing hard on the software and the the story behind their ecosystem of software and OSs with Harmony. 
which are different OSs across different tiers of devices. And they're certainly like doing things like, you know, hey, we know how to make sensors for cars and operating systems for cars because we have a lot of experience with smartphones and other connected devices. Let us help you make cars. So they're offering their expertise to car manufacturers in China. And I think in exchange, it just made sense that they would get an ODM to make a car for them, you know. And it's the Huawei car. So there you go. That's what's going on. It's crazy. <laughs> it's really interesting. And let's not forget, Huawei may be banned from making phones with Google services, but they've been really pushing their ecosystem of accessories and other devices in Europe. Uh, oh, yeah. I, re I recently needed a new computer monitor for my Raspberry Pi and uh, media server. And I ended up buying a, a relatively affordable 100 pounds full HD Huawei monitor, wow. which has recently replaced one of my main ones because it was so good. Yeah. And so monitors, fitness trackers, laptops, Huawei hasn't gone away. Smart watches. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> good old yeah. Huawei watch. I love this watch. It's so good. This is a GT3, folks. Well, on that note, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet? Sure. So I'm on the internet. Uh, I am one of the two people at Tech Travel Geeks. Tech Travel Geeks is mainly a YouTube channel where we cover consumer electronics, gadgets, accessories, and pretty much anything we make think makes the travel experience better. So check out Tech Travel Geeks on YouTube. If you like our content, please do subscribe much the same as you would do to the Mobile Tech Podcast uh, and all your other favorite YouTube content. We do also aim to start up our podcast later this year. Lukesh and I, during the year of 2021, both ended up moving house or going through most of the process of moving house. Now we're set up, we have our studios set up. It's time to kickstart that. And we will have Miriam back on. Uh, Miriam was our very first guest that's on right. the Tech Travel Geeks podcast. It'll be great to have her back again. Thanks. Where can they find you on social? So I'm on Twitter, at Todoleo, the same on Instagram, at Todoleo. Just search for Matteo Doni or Todoleo, and you'll find me there. Fantastic. Folks, please follow Matteo on Instagram and on Twitter. Subscribe to Tech Travel Geeks, and don't forget also to check out the website, and folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, everywhere, pretty much, on Twitter and Instagram. That's like Tankerl, the comic book character, but without the vowels. And uh, yeah, so if you want to chat with me and Matteo, hit us up on Twitter. You can tell us what you think of the show and ask us questions, whatever, comment. And of course, Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures of phones and pretty pictures of cars and pretty pictures of cars taken with phones because I pretty much take all my photos with phones nowadays. So yeah, find me there. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. There's an RSS feed there as well if you're old school. But uh, most importantly, if your app lets you rate or review the show, please consider doing that. It helps for discovery. And just like Matteo has a YouTube channel, 
I have a couple as well. So youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast and youtube.com slash mobile tech more. Those are the two channels that are complement to the show. If you want to see visuals about the devices we discussed, you should check out the YouTube channels. And basically, you know how to use YouTube. I don't have to tell you how to use YouTube. Like, subscribe, comment, click the little notification bell, tell your friends. Feel free to comment about the podcast on the comments for YouTube as well. The two channels are basically the main one, Mobile Tech Podcast, is all about the phones and immediate accessories, smartwatches, audio gear, and then the rest of it is on Mobile Tech More. And that's, you know, kind of smart home, travel tech, car tech, stuff like that. And that channel is pretty new still. We still don't have a huge amount of content, but please subscribe to both if you can. That would be great. And finally, I want to ask you to help because, you know, I can't do this podcast without your help. So there's a Patreon you can join. Patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. And there's a bunch of tiers that you can join to help out every month. One of them is really cool. It's this podcast in video format ahead of the public audio version. Like you get it a day or two before and I don't edit it as much. So it's a little more raw, a little more real, a little more personal. So check that out. That's one tier. There's also a Discord server that I have. You can join to chat with me if you want. And there's other options. Please consider helping out on Patreon, patreon.com slash TNKGRL. I would really appreciate it if you considered it. And if you do not like Patreon, I get it. There's other options. I have a PayPal link in the show notes. You can click through, buy me a coffee, buy me lunch, make a donation. Anything at this point helps and I would appreciate it. And finally, finally, (laughs) double finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible Audible.com is where it's at for audiobooks. If you love books as much as I do, you owe yourself to be an Audible subscriber. And we have a deal for you. 30-day free trial. You get to keep a book at the end, whether you stay or go. But I think you'll stay. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And here's why I think you'll stay. I am in front of a computer a big chunk of my day. My eyes are tired at the end of the day. I'm not really up for reading a book, even on a Kindle or something. I'd love to, because I love books, but is there something wonderful about being able to lean back in a chair with headphones on and listening to somebody read you a book? Or a short story, or a podcast. They have a whole bunch of content there. Some of the books I read by the authors have an incredible selection. Pretty much any book you can think of exists at Audible. So look, if you want to support the channel in another way, and at the same time support Audible, this is the way to do it, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. So consider that as well. I really like Audible. I really like books. And you'll find a bunch of really fun stuff there. So thanks to Audible for being our longtime sponsor. And Matteo, thanks again for being my guest on the show. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again for having me back on the show. It's, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. I agreed 100%. Folks, I'll have Matteo on at some point in the future, obviously, again. And I'll have a podcast next week. So stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.